What is up, my friends? This is Chad. Welcome back to another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. This week, I am joined again by Dan and Adrian. This is yet another installment on our series on the Harrison Assessment. The Harrison Assessment is a tool that we use to map out culture and also discover personal preferences of those on your team. Now, this is the third installment of this series, and we are talking about the par- the driving paradox today, where we talk both about enforcing and warmth and empathy. If you want to learn more about the Harrison Assessment, there is a link in the description of this episode. Go ahead and click on that. Also, if you want to implement the Harrison Assessment with your team, there's a link to our website in the description of this episode. Click on that. We would love to talk to you about what that takes. Let's dive into the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. My name's Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, hey. doing great. Excellent. Thanks. It's great to be with both of you again. We are revisiting, once again, the Harrison Assessment. So we're doing a little series here, uh, 12-episode series on the paradoxes that are in the Harrison Assessment. Again, I'll just give you a brief um, intro, but if you want to know more, go to definitely go to the description of this episode. Check out, we've got links there. We've got a more in-depth explanation of what the Harrison Assessment is, how we use it with teams, And I just want to mention here, as we get started, it is based on 12, uh, the foundation of it is paradox theory. Um, and meaning when two things seem like opposite traits, they, when, when, uh, in balance, they're more, they're, they're useful. It's, it's, um, it's having both. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, what that means. If you've listened to the, the last two paradox, uh, episodes that we've done, you'll be a pro at this already. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, You can go and you can look at the thumbnail of this episode and see the actual paradox graph that we'll be referencing because the report is visual. We wanted to provide that for you. Unfortunately, Apple Podcasts doesn't let us change the thumbnail of each episode. So if you want to see this specific uh, um, graph or image, I suggest going to Spotify. And Apple Podcasts, if you're listening, catch up. Yeah, seriously. Come on. You invented the game. I mean, yes. I mean, you want to, and by the way, taxis are now leaving town as well. <laughs> Uber is here. So, you know, the future is coming. We better get, better catch up, gentlemen. Better catch up. And, so uh, the paradox, the paradox that we're going after today that we're talking about is the driving paradox. And I'll also remind you definitions in this conversation are incredible. Incredibly important. We have to keep in mind the definitions that Harrison has put forth for these terms so that we make sure we're talking the same language um, and, and make sure that we're talking about something that we have a common understanding around. Otherwise, if we're operating off of different definitions, we can make up all sorts of things that aren't necessarily part of the conversation. And some of the words that they use have some prior um, meaning to them that aren't valuable or valid in the, in this conversation. So when we talk about driving paradox, here's how they define it, how you manage rapport and empathy when managing the performance of others. Yeah. Can I, a little background real quick? Yes, of course, Dan, always. um, This paradox theory, it's interesting because this guy, Dan Harrison started working on this 30 years ago. And recently in the last 12 years, I noticed Harvard's been 
getting deeply into it, uh, particularly around leadership, because they're looking at leadership rather than a set of skills as a phenomenon that emerges from relationship. And paradoxes are, as you said, seemingly contradictory terms that are interdependent. They are actually interdependent. Yeah, and, thanks for that language. I was struggling with it earlier. Yeah, and and they what happens is we have a tendency to want to resolve the pa- the paradox, which there's no you can't do it. It just exists. It's just something you learn to navigate to live in, like gravity. Right? We don't try to solve gravity, although we we have a lot of people have died trying that. But um, we learn to use it. We learn to work with it, and then so that's really the idea. And as we get in, as we're aware of both of these traits, then we can start to exercise a balance between the two. So just a little clarification. That's great. I love it. Um, The two independent traits that we're measuring in the driving paradox. Uh, And once again, it's graphed out on this cool Y, X, Y axis quadrant thing. Uh, There's four quadrants and, you know, um, there's a trait going up the vertical and a a trait going across uh, the horizontal. So the two that we're measuring in this one in the driving paradox is the vertical trait is enforcing. Now, the way that they define enforcing is the tendency to insist upon necessary rules being followed. Yeah. Uh, something we can all agree is required to uh, have an organization that's productive and profitable, right? Um, so the other, the other trait that we're measuring on the horizontal is warmth and empathy. The tendency to express positive feelings and affinity towards others. Now you can see how on the surface those will look like contradictory traits or contradictory actions as we look at enforcing and warmth and empathy, empathy, empathy. <laughs> how do you have both together? And that's what we're going to discuss. Uh, and as we as we discuss this, um, uh, we'll talk about what the different quadrants are. Um, and what the balanced quadrant is and what the two, the unbalanced quadrants are. Um, but I want to, I want to start talking about, um, enforcing. So there, you know, there's this, this idea that, um, I don't know if there's this idea, but, but what I make up about it is leadership also often is looked at as the opportunity or the responsibility of enforcing, uh, which I would agree with. Um, but oftentimes this leads to ineffective leadership when it's imbalanced. So uh, as we talk about enforcing, and again, the tendency to insist upon necessarily necessary rules being followed, when somebody sees that as their sole responsibility without the warmth and empathy, um, what kind of behaviors, what kind of um, trouble do we run into that you guys have seen it from leaders that are imbalanced in this? You know, just um, one of the things that occurs to me is this paradox is rooted deeply into a, a larger paradox that leaders run into, which is the paradox that people want, people need leadership, groups need leadership, but they, and so, so that would be uh, a, one of the, that might be the Y axis, the vertical axis, which is usually the action, active axis and the supportive axis is usually the X or the horizontal one. And the other axis would be people don't want to be led. They want to be autonomous. Mm. And so, but people will be led if they see that following or supporting the vision is going to 
support their private, their own interests, right? So that's one of the, we've talked about that, but that is one of the things that I know Adrian and I engage a lot with leaders is, you know, how come these guys, you know, they, how come I'm babysitting them, right? They feel like you know, a leader will feel like, like I'm not here to babysit these guys. How come I have to beg them or prod them or get them to do something? And usually nine out of 10 times, that's a, it tends to be a condition that people aren't connected with how serving the vision is going to serve them and their personal interests. In fact, they might even see it's the opposite. And then, of course, on top of that is, that does, has the leader earned their trust, right? Not around, I'm going to be served if I serve this vision and this guy's standing with me or this gal in a way that's going to make a difference for that, right? Mm. Like I get that serving this vision that I'm cared for as much as I care for the vision or give myself to it. That's great. And so, you know, enforcing is that side where <clears throat> people get that when you're enforcing, you're enforcing for the good of what the vision is and therefore for their own development, right? If you think about it. Sure. And, but if they don't get that, they're going to resist, right? Yeah. I think it's good you're pointing out, Dan, that even, uh, you know, there's lots of enforcing as a, as a concept never really sits alone. It fits inside a context, yeah. right? So the purpose of enforcing really that either is, is communicated or assumed, is really is usually how enforcing is to the person that's being enforced. <laughs> so, it, which is your point, right? It's like, you know, Hey, this guy, oh, he's for me. Oh, he's reminding me about that thing because this matters. And if we all do this, we kick ass together and we go win and, you know, go to the bar and have a beer and you celebrate. Um, that's why he's doing it. Or he doesn't trust me. He's such a nag. Why does he not like he me? He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care, care about me. me. I'm just a tool. I'm, you know, he's just using me, you know, um, I shouldn't be treated this way, blah, blah, blah. You know? So anyway, there's, there's a, the, um, the nest or whatever, the environment in which enforcing happens usually makes enforcing what it is. Mm. I love being led. I mean, we can wrap a lot of stuff around Harrison, the conversations that naturally come up. One of the things that comes up is once a capable leader, this idea of, you know, what someone's preference is on how capable their leader needs to be for them to be comfortable working with them. Yeah. And people are all over the map on that. They don't know they're all over the map until that, you know, we just, I show them their score and say, Hey, well, you have a 9.2 on once capable leader. Usually this means for people is that they really need to have someone above them that they deeply respect, want to be like, will follow. And, you know, no, you know, lots, a long list of respectable traits, competent. Yep. competent, respectable, trustworthy, all that stuff. If you have a high level, high score on that, that's what's usually required. Otherwise you do, you know, you react poorly. Uh, or some people can have a really low score on once capable leader can be like three and like, Oh, it's cool. Whatever's happening up there. No problem. I got my thing. I can work around anybody. I can work with anybody. No big deal. They're much more adaptable. So anyway, this, my point, my point here is that like this conversation about enforcing is very contextual for the person that's in it for the leader. That's for the leader that's leading that way. And for the re recipient of the enforcement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a great point because I, I have a 9.7 and wants a, a capable leader. Me too. So if I don't think, and, and then I've been told, well, you know, you're just a pain in the ass or you're, you're, you're rebellious. And I realize in those moments, it's usually because I don't respect the leader. I don't yep. trust what they're doing. And I'm not clear that I really want to give myself to it. Yep. And so, you know, in hiring somebody like that, if it, so, but if I respect the guy or gal, and like I've had a number of women that are I've that have been my managers or leaders, and when I I've respected every one of them, I've got I can think of three, and when they would come to correct me, I was all ears because I knew these people knew their stuff, and I'd seen them perform, and I was all ears and wanted to get get what they had to give me to, to develop. But man, if I didn't get that, I was resistant. I, I was questioning and, you know, like that. So, but yep. the thing is, if you're going to hire somebody and you know that they have that, it, you you know to give them to somebody who's competent, not to somebody who's struggling. Because in order to get somebody who has a high, wants a capable leader, they're going to be hard to, to enforce with unless they, and, and it won't meet, matter how much warmth and empathy is there if they don't get the person is competent yeah so yeah i spent most of my 20s i didn't know i was doing this till afterwards but i spent a lot of my 20s i'd walk into the room wonder who's in charge here and then go befriend that person and then size them up i like them i don't like them i think they know what they're doing i think they don't know what they're doing if i was if i believed in them man i was their lieutenant i you know i wanted to be as impactful as possible for them. If I didn't like them, I started building the coup. You know, we're going to overthrow this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, and I didn't know I was doing, and that's a, you know, maybe it's a dickish move, whatever. I didn't know I was doing it, but it was that, the, um, yeah. you know, I, I was just always like that. I was always like, hey, this thing, this thing could be better. And if the person loved making the thing better, great. If the person didn't, we're coming for you, man. Yeah. And, and on this driving paradox. Yeah. It, it's interesting because uh, warmth and empathy is that ability to you know, express positive feelings and to really form affinity with others and towards right. others. And if, you know, a lot of leaders will be, I, the ones I've experienced, most of them tend to have a permissive side. And what that means is that, that they have a tendency to give us, in their mind, give somebody a break. They, they notice early that things aren't going well, but rather than correct, because they don't want to be micromanagers in their mind, they'll let it go, which they don't realize like when they see something happen that isn't really aligned with what the team's about or what the vision is or what the rules are about carrying out the vision. They tend, what they're get, doing is giving tacit consent for whatever's not working. In other words, without saying it, they're, they're acknowledging, go ahead and do it. And so what happens is the person that's doing it goes about doing it. And if it doesn't work, then what happens if the person has been permissive is they get upset because they feel like they're being taken advantage of and they'll flip into being harsh, right? They'll, they'll go from, from being permissive. All of a sudden they're harsh, which confuses the person that they're managing or leading because they thought everything they were doing was working since nobody said anything about it. Right. And now you're going to have some distrust and you have to work through it. And the idea is, and, and really what, what this kind of translates to for the leader is they're trying to lead on the power of their personality rather than using that warmth and empathy to help people understand that these particular rules and regulations get up to them because they're beneficial for the vision and for their development. And that, that dialogue 
take some exercise, right? And a lot of times leaders are like, I don't have the time for this. And so they get more permissive. Or yeah. Harsh, yeah. This, uh, this story sounds all too familiar, Dan. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a five on, I'm five on enforcing and nine on warmth and empathy. And what I connect with what you're talking about. So that puts me mostly in the permissive. Well, I mean, I straddle the line with that five on enforcing, um, but it puts me a good portion into permissive. And I would say that's my tendency. That's my range of, of, of trade. comfortable in, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm permissive and what I make up of or how I see myself in what you're talking about is that I make up that my warmth and empathy should be enough enforcing. Like that is, that is Don't my mode of enforcing. No, I care. Isn't yeah. that enough that I care? Yeah. It's just so funny. It was just so stark to me as you were saying that, Oh my gosh, I think I should just have to be warmth, warm and empathetic and everybody should do what they're, what they're, what they've committed to do. That's, that's pretty funny. I've literally blown. I blew when I was a younger man. I, I bought this t-shirt. I I have a very similar tendency and I blew up a company doing that. Like I didn't correct on a guy early enough. And later on, I corrected, but he wasn't ready to receive. He, he was like, wait a minute, you know, I feel like you're lying to me. I mean, you haven't said anything about this for a year, right? Mm-hmm. And then now I've got to work through all that suspicion to get to what it was. And, and I, you know, he said, I feel like you've been lying to me, which if you think about it, I was up until that point because I didn't say anything early enough to help him correct what he was doing. And uh, it, it, I lost him. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. I, I paid some prices on that, but that, you do that once or twice, you learn, you know, especially somebody you care about and was a big contribution to the team. Hmm. I also have that uh, hard flip to harsh that you're talking about. Yeah. So when uh, I have a tendency that when I, when things aren't getting done and I'm getting frustrated and people aren't appreciating my warmth and empathy, yeah. uh, I go, all, and that harshness all, will push them out. Sergeant on them. Yeah. And they'll, it'll push him out. I mean, I did the same thing. I flipped on that guy and it pushed him out and he was caught by off guard. Right. It really wasn't good for the relationship and I couldn't recover. Yeah. 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 And for, you know, for yeah, those... also good. Chad. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I really connected, <laughs> really connected Dan to when, when you said they don't really, those that are being led don't really know what's going on. Because it's like, oh, well, we thought we were doing what you had expected of us and everything was great because you're just being all warm and empathetic with us. Like everything's cushy. Well, and now you're asshole. flipping. <laughs> and I and I never I didn't understand that until recently, you know, until the last couple of years that oh, people people have mistaken my um, imbalance here for everything's fine. Yeah. What were you going for? Well, no, there's a lot. I was just, I was going to pause and give some navigation of people as people are listening. So we've been we've been describing what happens when you're long on the x-axis on this, which is warm and empathy, and in short yeah. on the y-axis, right? So yeah. you're kind of this bottom right permissive thing, and then if you're that imbalanced, then you can flip up into harsh, which is top left, just to help people visualize. And I, I see this. I mean, this this comes to mind a lot. Uh, this comes to, I think this, a lot of time this flip happens in email in the work environment, Yeah, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. right? Cause you're like, you, you don't want to be mean in person or on the meeting, you know, you don't want to be mean because a lot of this like permissive stuff, 
is ego driven. My belief, my experience, I don't want to be the mean guy. I want to be the nice guy. Totally. You know, be cool, man. Be nice, be positive, be warm, be encouraging. I mean, and and all those things are like really good things, by the way, but they can also be used as a cover as a way to avoid the conversation that needs to happen. So they're an affront at times, you know, and that shifts back and forth, even for me, when what's authentic or inauthentic. So we're, we're certain we're nice in the meeting, quote unquote, nice in the meeting. And then in in email, we'll follow up. (laughs) Let me be clear, Tom, (laughs) you know, the fact that this hasn't gotten done is very disappointing. I don't know why, blah, blah, blah. So you need to get this to me by blah, blah, blah. If I don't hear back from you, blah, 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 you know, and it's like, bam, it's like smacking this dude around. We were willing to say it to Tom when we were talking to him, but later, you know, you can flip into harsh. And the, the distinction is this, is that you're, you're only harsh if you've given up the warmth and empathy. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the goal is the top right quadrant, this balanced versatility, which is this compassionate enforcing. So it's like, you, you know, the goal is the both and conversation. How do I keep the standards high, insist upon rules being followed, quote unquote. I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, I, I hate rules in general, but like expectations being delivered upon, I would also say. Yeah. You know, instead of rules being followed, like are people delivering, mm-hmm. you know, so expecting that and being warm in the process, like both can occur. If both occur, they, Harrison calls this compassion enforcing. So uh, I can always, you know, I, I'm long as well. I mean, mine, I'm six on warmth and empathy and seven on enforcing. So I'm, I'm kind of almost balanced, but uh, you know, I am 75% in the compassion enforcing quadrant. I'm, I scooch over into harsh, a little bit down and permissive. You dance all over the place. I'm all, watch out. No man. flip though. You don't have a flip in there. No flip. Yeah, I'm really balanced, but, but I, I, can, do, I can do both. Ask my children. But what I'll tell, you know. I'm sorry, Adrian, go ahead. You no, saying, go, go. I've seen, I love your children. So I was like, tell me, tell me. <laughs> um, the, uh, and, and the permissive leader who flips like this, from, his, from her side, she's going to say, well, I've been, you know, I don't get this. These guys don't appreciate me. I mean, after all, I gave them all this space and, you know, time and I, you know, and then, but what really, they probably didn't even get how important it was when you mentioned it in your most permissive way. And this kind of bleeds into the communication paradox when you've been so diplomatic, so empathetic that that they don't get the importance of, what you're trying to enforce by trying to be the nice guy or get along instead of like really emphasizing, these are my expectations. These are what we're expecting as a team. And so how, how can I support you? But this has got to happen. You know, that that dance. And that's why I think that right after this, this particular paradox is the communication paradox because it's so how you communicate in the in this tension means a lot in your ability yeah. to get both the care for the person across and the importance of delivering what you're trying to deliver and enforce you know yeah yeah i'm thinking about two two conversations i've had recently um with two different nike clients 
Um, and anyway, one was the context of, you know, having a, having a person on your team that's really emotionally driven. And what do you do about that? You know, that's having a hard time delivering on certain things. And what do you do about that? And I think it shows up in this dynamic at times where it's like, um, here, cause here's, here's sometimes if, if a team becomes really emotionally driven, then the most dramatic person is running the show. Yeah. Mm. Right. So especially if someone like doesn't deliver, but then goes very, I think the word soporific goes very uh, hyper emotional and very dramatic about all the difficulties he's been going through and it's really hard and, and, you know, you can't believe this is happening at home and this is happening here and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, all the stuff that's happening, why he couldn't deliver on the promise. And then if you actually, you know, enforce towards him, he goes even more because now he's requiring warmth and empathy. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if anybody can feel this, um, uh, dynamic or if anybody's any leaves have been through this before where it's like all of a sudden, like the, the conversation becomes about the emotional context and we leave the objective dynamic, which is, are we going to get this done or not? Yeah. And, and so pretty good indicator that if, if the emotion is driving it, then me as the leader, I have been, I have allowed that to occur because I haven't, been able to contextualize the emotion and its value in the process of accomplishing what we said we're going to do. And, and so I'm, I've allowed myself to be emotionally extorted, if you will, out of the objective of what we're up to. And then that's really part of what happens if I'm really too permissive is that I'm actually kind of becoming a slave to the emotional drift of the org of the team instead of, aligning those emotions with what we're doing and, you know, acknowledging them. But the bottom line is, you know, rather than feeling bad, which, you know, is a form of getting yourself off the hook, what's it going to take to get this accomplished and how can we work together? What do you need? What's wanted and needed? Being able to hold that conversation within there, that's vital to getting the enforcing aspect of this thing in place in a way that produces results because it's this particular paradigm that, is crucial to leadership because it's dry, it's causing you're, you're causing results with people and through them. Right. Hmm. One thing that's um, I think vital to keep in mind as we have this conversation around the Harrison and where we lie on these quadrants and, and with these traits is that this is not, this is not uh, a, a life sentence. <laughs> this is not um, just a, well, guess you're not, guess you're not made for leadership sort of conversation. This is data and information for you, the really valuable data and information for you to um, increase the, the effectiveness of your leadership, to be aware of your tendencies um, and where you tend to lie on these, on these paradoxes. So one of the conversations that's really valuable is to start to talk about workarounds. How can we, if I have it, so for me, uh, I'm, I'm falling in permissive, meaning I'm low on enforcing, high on warmth and empathy. 
um, I can give into that and say, well, that's just who I am. It's my personality. It's a life sentence. You deal with it. I'm just going to flip on you and become the drill sergeant. And that's just how things are going to run around here. Um, or I can say, well, that's interesting and valuable. And I'm committed to working towards being more balanced. So for me, somebody who uh, falls in the permissive side of the imbalance with the, the flip to being harsh, what kind of uh, workarounds, what kind of things that I, can I start to do and practice in my daily interactions with the people that I lead um, that will allow me to be more balanced and, and kind of counteract this tendency to be imbalanced? Stumped you. No, I got, I got stuff. If, Adrian, did you want to go first? Go ahead, man. Um, so this is a complex question. <laughs> it sounds simple, but it's complex. There's, there's both the, there's the, so the workaround will only be available to the one who contextually is, can see it. In other words, yeah. let's just say this motive masters reason. Motive masters reason. Now, I didn't make this up. This is neuroscience. Your brain first finds a motive for what it wants to do, and then it organizes its reasons around the motive. So as Adrian said before that, you know, a lot of times being permissive is an exercise of ego. I want to look good. I want to be accepted. I want to, you know, be the nice guy. I want to be part of the team. I want to enjoy you know, why we're together. I don't want to upset. There's a number of you know motives that are in there. Now, if my motive is that, I probably, the workarounds won't do much, but produce more of that. But if my motive, and, and there are some workarounds, like, like you can work around by being clear about your expectations, the performance of the, your those that you lead, be clear about them, be clear about, where you stand with that and how important that is, not only to the organization, but to their own personal development and advancement in the organization. And that that's where the full, if you're going to have fulfillment, you've got to line up, you know, you as a leader has got to really line up with that, that, and you got to sell and you want to celebrate any wins along the way, right? Those are things that can really, those are workarounds that can make a big difference. But if your motive is so that you're going to do that because you don't want the trouble or the tension of enforcing, you'll probably do it late. You, you know, there's a number of things you may do, justify yourself, et cetera. So you really got to get clear about what, what am I really doing here? Why am I doing this with this person? What do I want most for them? And how can I stand and how does that fit in? to the team and what we're here to accomplish. Does it align with that? And if it doesn't, what's wanted and needed for me? Like if I'm supporting this person and doing something to, to accomplish their vision, and let's say they need more time off because, or they need to work from home once in a while because they've got family issues and this is part of what they're up against. Well, I got to make sure that that fits within the rules that I'm enforcing and how can I do it? There's a number of ways I can do that. You know, maybe I can't give them a raise because they can stay home because I'm on a, a freeze. You know, there's might be a, a wage freeze, but maybe they can use the company, you know, the company apartment, bring the family up, or maybe they can stay home and work from home, or maybe we can work with them in a number of different ways that other than, 
give them a raise or whatever they might have asked for. I won't look for those things if my only thing is to relieve myself of the tension that they bring to the team. If I, but if my motive is to really support them, because I get that they're going to be a value contribution, valuable contribution, and I get that this is going to develop them as an, an executive, because that's what they want, then that's a whole different motive, and I'm going to probably find an, a workaround that's going to support them, if that all makes sense. But that whole thing about what's your motive, it's, it's yeah. a big deal. And, and that has a lot to do with your ability to be effective in finding language that can help bring the two of you together. I think that's great. Yeah. Motive masters reason. Um, that's great. And, you know, uh, and reason really proves your motive. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> that's it, it works the other way right like works the other way yeah yeah because like what am i here to prove what i'm here i'm here to prove tells me what i'm up to like the source you know the source document is going on back here and that's my motive and then my reason is what i all the space in between that and you yeah like if i'm if i'm defending not getting it done that tells you what my motive is i don't want to trouble myself and be dominated by the problem that, you know, because I've reached the end of my expertise or my ability to get it done. And now I would rather be right about it not getting done than really demanding of myself to learn, reinvent, redesign, whatever you want to say, transform myself in a way that I can, I can grope around in the dark to find the keys to get it done. You know, ask people for it. I Like I might not want to look uh, inadequate by asking my team to help me with something I feel I should be competent at. And I don't want to, I'm afraid I'm going to lose their respect instead of maybe I'll gain their respect and trust. If I went to them and said, Hey, look, I'm struggling with this. Do you, you know, can you help me? I notice you're good at it or whatever. That comes up a lot. Those kinds of, that's just an example of some of the things because the motive behind that is I need to look like I'm in control versus I'm going to get this done. Even if I have to exp you know, especially when I can expose my inadequacy and, and draw on the team. So. Yeah. And, and I was going to say, you know, this is a conversation, not about capacity. It's a conversation about preference. Right on. Like I was going to remind listeners. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if we've reminded them that much about it. I always, I remind and when I'm doing a debrief with any leader, I, I always remind them that probably four or five times only because of where the human brain usually goes with what's wrong, bad or broken with me or you or it or the system, whatever, you know, people usually hear it like a condemnation. So the fact that like I'm low on enforcing doesn't mean I can't enforce. It just means I prefer not to. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's not like you can't. It's just that I'd rather not if I don't have to now. So everything happens in agreement though. Yeah. Everything's ha everything happens in an agreement. Every relationship, there is always an agreement going on in a relationship about how we are with one another. And that's either been an active conversation or it's a passive conversation, but there's always some kind of sense of what this thing is and what will happen next and how you act and how I act. So if I have, I happen to have a low preference for enforcing, but want, but what's needed to get the thing done requires some enforcement. Now I've got some options. So either I can pay more attention and go have a conversation I'd rather not have, 
you know, for the sake of the vision. But that's good thing is, is that everybody that's like been playing the nice guy role, they've got usually lots of credibility because people like them and because people trust them on some level. Which is really an advantage. People Huge. don't realize what an advantage that is because if they can maintain that and be specific, they got, a, you know, they got an opening. Yeah. So, you know, if you just kind of, that's like one, if you just open the, if you just crack the door, like an enforcing conversation, if you've been really warm with them and enforcing conversation, if you stay warm in it, if you crack the door, the door really opens up as a analogy. Like it doesn't take much. Like if I, if you get that, I really care about you. And then I say, Hey man, this thing on Friday, it's really bugging me. I know you're working really hard. Can you get it to me by 10 AM on Friday? Cause if you don't, I'm going to really be screwed by noon. Can you do that for me? And they say, <laughs> yes. Right. Like, if you say it, you stay warm and get clear, it works. People are never like, no, man, F you. they're not. They're just not because they care about you and you're warm. So yeah. if you but, but talk about Adrian, let's say they said they do it and they're not doing it. And, and it's time to enforce about that. Sure. Um, so let's say, yes. So you've asked them to do something. They've said yes, and they're not. And so they probably will. Um, they'll do what they've always done, which is come up with some reason why they couldn't. And they're going to bank on you being who you've always been, which is the nice guy. Um, so there, there's, you know, they'll, they'll go back to the positions that are at play typically. So they'll, they, they will blend or lean into your warmth and empathy side and justify why they couldn't deliver. Um, and you'll probably, if, if you settle for what you've been settling for, that'll be okay. And you'll just kind of say, okay, oh, I get it. That is super hard. Um, just get it to me whenever you can. That's what some people will probably do. And then slowly and resent them hardcore invisibly, you know, um, now, but if you wanted to break up that pattern, which will take some more courage than, than not leaving the pattern in place always takes less courage than to disrupt the pattern. So if you wanted to disrupt the pattern, you know, you'd say, Hey, you, I, what could you, are you, are you thinking Dan, like what, like almost like a scenario? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if I, if I'm the warmth and empathy guy and, and by the way, I can, I can be like this. Um, and need to enforce in somebody, I'd be like, well, hey, what you could say, like, hey, what happened and get them clear on what really happened. Um, then, OK, well, can you can you get this done by a certain date? Because, because you can do it by staying connected to the person, because really, can you get this thing, get this done by a certain date? Now, most people don't want that tension, which is why I think people don't enforce because there's tension baked into enforcing right? Because you're actually calling people up to something, asking them to put their name on something, asking them to stick their neck out and make a promise. That's tension. Yep. Because people and would rather... And that tension is exactly what, exactly what drives action, right? So that's right. It's the tension of what you don't have in relationship, well, what you want in relationship to what you don't have. That's right. right. That's right. So you'd have to be like, ask the question like that. Like, Hey, can I, okay, I hear you tough morning. Great. Can you get it done in the next three hours? And then you have to wait and sit in that tension because don't let, because you have to like suspect you have to, and I guess I can get into some stuff behind the scenes here, but 
there needs to be a belief that and enough faith really that I've got, we've got the type of relationship that I can actually call you into action and the relationship won't be hindered. A lot and of people you, go ahead. When you make that request, you're making an offer. So to say anything would be to, to alter the offer. So yeah. when the offer, the tension of the offer calls them out to either. And, and however they come out is good because you're going to learn where they are, which is your next like if they don't, if they respond with a counter that's mitigated and it's not a way, you know, because they're trying to reduce the risk or mitigate the risk, then you've got to, then that's not acceptable. Then you've got a conversation. You can explore what's next because that's not acceptable. So let's talk about what else could be done. Yep. Yeah. And that, so, that continues to be tension. Right? Yeah, that's right. So hanging out in that tension and hanging out in the, in the relationship, you know, it's not like either or this isn't either or, but hanging out, like, can you get it done in the next three hours? And they're just waiting. And then you like, let that tension happen. And then they'll be honest with you. Like they're, well, they're going to say something I'll, <laughs> We'll see if they're honest, but they're going to say something. They're going to say yes, no, or maybe. And my, if you're going to, if you want to experiment on, on enforcing rid the word, maybe from the conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a yes or no. Will you or will you not? Mm -hmm. People would rather I'll try or I'm going to do my best or you know, there's lots of like ways we fancy up the word maybe, you know, but getting people asking people to just get clear about if they are or if they aren't, if they're committed to it or not. Yeah, I like to ask them, well, what if, okay, so you think you can do it. Well, what can I count on from you? That's yeah. what I want to know. Yeah. And then I find out what level they think they're at. And then, then I can ask from there, well, okay, good. I get you're willing to do it there, but I need the full, what do you need to actually be able to stand on what I'm asking for? Is there something you need? That's but the you, other thing. Yeah. This conversation, re that. this conversation reveals any resources that they don't think they have. That's right. You get a chance to see how they're resourcing. And, and because normally I've found that most people, there are more resources than we know we have. We just don't bother to look for them and because we don't think they're there. And that, the right. brain's a funny thing, right? It's going to be right about what it thinks. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's great. I, I, so I was going to say one more thing. So yeah. the, on, on this dynamic, because the one of the workarounds is reframing why to overcome to do what I don't want to do. Right. Cause that's what it is. Like, am I willing to do what I don't want to do for the sake of the person, for the sake of the vision, for the sake of the outcome, for the sake of anything, you got to pick something that's worth the climb. Um, that's one workaround. The other is finding someone else in the dynamic that's willing to hold that, that either has more of a preference or willing to, you know, do the strenuous act. It doesn't have to, this is part of, this is part of the all or nothing thinking that a lot of leaders get accustomed to and they end up, you know, hurting their organization is it doesn't always have to be you enforce enforcement needs to happen. Enforcement serves the vision period. Warmth needs to happen. Warmth and empathy serves the vision. Uh, as the leader, you might be the one to, you know, to enforce, or you also might be the one that points out the need for enforcement and make sure that enforcement happens because you are just naturally a guy that thinks about enforcement last. It's not like a moral thing. I, it just doesn't even dawn on you. Oh shoot. I should put some deadlines here. You can train yourself to do that, but if it's not your preference, it's probably going to hit your mind later, 
there's somebody else in the room, all the ops people, you know, every, all the very like, you know, heart, you know, the, you know, uh, more administrative folks, they think enforcement right away. Who's going to do it? When's it going to get done? They just naturally think that way. So it's okay to like, make sure it gets done. That's another way to do a workaround is, Oh, I'm going to make sure Beth knows at the end of every one of my meetings, the promises get lined out about what we're going to get done. Who's going to get it done by when that's a way for a leader to really enforce is to make sure enforcement gets done. So not to pass the buck, but to prioritize it. Well, it's actually a form. It's an expression of compassion. If yeah. you think about it, because there's nothing less more, let more uncompassionate than what I did, for instance, with that guy in the sales organization. And I knew he had, I knew way before I enforced that he had, he had done five different events in different cities and the, and what we were selling was going downhill and I knew something was out and I didn't enforce. Right. So if I would have forced, enforced early that would have been compassionate for for him he would have learned what we would have learned together what was wanted and needed what resources need to come to play what results to look for what what the expectations were and then we could truly celebrate as he broke through and instead it blew up on me because i didn't lay that track as i my motive was to keep myself comfortable i didn't want the discomfort of engaging in that i feel i wanted to pull back after all i hired him to do this job, right? I have this whole story to justify my motivation to just not be involved because I was yeah. lazy. You yeah. know, I wanted to pull back. I, in my mind, needed to rest. And it was a lot more work losing him than just really caring for him from the beginning. Can I say one more thing that I, I typically see? We have time, Chad? Yeah, go okay. for it. The, um, I think sometimes people become weary uh, or bored or like weary or judgmental when they have to, when they feel like they quote unquote have to enforce all the time, you know, like I shouldn't have to say this, or I don't, I'm tired of babysitting these people. Like those are the types of comments that you know show up. Um, and that's fair. What usually hasn't. So like the idea of like, I don't want, I shouldn't have to say this to this person. And they usually say that at least if they're like me, I think that because I think about the thousand other times I'm going to have to do it. Right. Like if I start asking him to turn in the thing, then every time I, he's, he's not going to turn in the thing unless I ask him and I don't want to do that for the next thousand times. So I'm going to be mad about this one. Now, I think usually what I've seen is they haven't set up the whole culture of accounting right? Because you can actually build in into the team dynamics. Hey, we account around here. And what does that mean? That every single time we meet, we give a real honest look at where a project is, what's working, what's not working, what's, what's wanted, needed, or what's missing. We and really account. And we, what I'm doing about it. And what I'm doing about it. We account for where it is and, what's, and where I am and the what's missing, really, which is Dan's point. What's missing and what I'm going to do about it. You can actually generate a system of meeting, generate a system of conversation, the norms about how we talk to one another about the work that does most of the heavy lifting around enforcing. Mm -hmm. Like this is just what we do. We, the system we naturally enforce with each other, like peer to peer enforcement, like that is happening. And that somebody will naturally enforce themselves if they know they're about to have to account, we all know when that's happening, we'll get the meeting coming up and shit, I better get ready. Yeah. You know, and I better like, you know, I want to, I've got this, 
I've got this thing coming up in a few days. I better get this thing done now so that when the meeting happens, I'm not exposed, right? That's natural enforcement happening. Um, you know, so anyway, you can build this into the system of conversation because, you know, nobody likes to like have somebody always enforcing over their shoulder. I mean, some people like that. Um, but we, but what's needed is that enforcement is happening. So that's also another way to get this. And, and finally, and, and if you think about it, this is what creates authentic celebration when somebody breaks through. In part of enforcement is celebrating the wins. But if I haven't really walked with somebody and haven't worked with them, I'm not aware of what they're going through to get to where they're committed to going then my celebration with them it will not be as authentic as I would be if I was involved in that process as their, as their leader or you know, manager or support or coach, whatever you want to call it. So by really, and I'm going to get connected to them, I'll be invested in them and we'll be invested in each other. So when they break through the celebration is something that, that's bonding and worth doing. Right. People start to get, oh, man, this is this is worth doing. This is exciting. I'm learning something. I think it's that same mentality, Dan, that this is worth doing that cultivates a team of enforcers or, or a team of accountability. Yeah. And that's, that's the most beautiful thing that I, that I witness on a team is when everybody is willing to hold each other accountable yeah. to what they're about. Right. Yeah. And that's when there's true belief in the mission and the vision. And there's not just one overlord enforcing every, everything, being the dad of the team or being the mom of the team, but everybody is there together on equal playing ground, uh, enforcing with each other. That's, uh, you know, that, that becomes, especially for me where I have a tendency to be weaker in enforcing, that's the ideal that's the goal for me is to create a team environment, in which we're all holding each other accountable. And so I don't always have to be the guy. Right. And, you know, Dan, what you said, what you talked about, um, well, at least what I heard, how I heard it was, I relate to it so personally, uh, from my own lived experiences is I am high and warm. What I, the conversation I have in my head is that I'm high in warmth and empathy because I want to be a kind person. I want to be perceived as kind. Sometimes that becomes nice, right? And some, a lot of times, and, and that's, an, that's an ego move. But it's interesting. The word nice comes from the French word for ignorant or ignorant. Yeah. Or ignoring, right? So yeah. ignore what you have to enforce in order to be liked. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, on my good days, it is it's kindness, though, and I do want to be known for kindness. Um, so, but I, I am so now attuned into and aware of on my good days. Again, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but I'm aware of when I'm trying to be kind or even on, on the worst days, nice. And so that for me is an invitation. That awareness is an invitation to realize, no, the, the kindest thing you can do right now is be crystal clear about your expectations. Yeah. That, that's the point. I mean, I was nice when I didn't, didn't intervene with my, that guy in the sales position. That's right. Kindness would have been to stand with him as early as possible to see what was possible and his own development and the organization's development, where he was headed, that would have been far more kind yep. than, than being nice, ignoring it. Right. That's a big deal. Yep. Yeah. And Nike, with that, by, by the way, Nike's got an, an internal mantra, clear as kind. Clear oh, wow. As kind. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's they, say cool. it, they say it all the time. Clear as kind. Yeah. 
I, I really like that. It's that it, and, and when I'm committed to that vision of kindness, I have no choice then to be clear and to be enforcing taking with me the warmth and empathy that I'm about, but it just, it, you know, that vision compels me to, to make the decision to be clear. Yeah. Clear is kind. So let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is well, great. It's like, well, I'll just, I'll add one little last little yeah. kicker here. The, you know, anytime we just, we merely exist in an imbalance so mere, like only exist as warmth and empathy or only exist as an enforcer, whichever, um, you know, we're giving up on a lot of value for ourselves and really for our own esteem, you know, for our own sense of self, for our own sense of connection, for our own sense of meaning, for our own sense of, you know, impact and my life matters. So, that's why, that, I mean, this is for us, for me, this is like a worthy struggle. It's a worthy battle. It's a worthy, you know, process of like, okay, where, what's missing for me? What actions and attitudes are missing for me in order for me to get more out of life? And if I'm long on warmth and empathy and short on enforcing my, I, part of this is a belief that my life gets better if my enforcing goes up. And if a leader, everybody's, if you're a leader, everybody's life gets better. And if, if you're long on enforcing and short on warmth and empathy, my life will get better if I become more kind, become more warm. Actually, that's to, to believe that. And we give up if we settle for being for living at a pole is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. And to encourage those that are listening is just to get into this process of like elongating this elongating um, uh, these preferences. By becoming more conscious of them, your life will get better. And, you're, you know, if you're if you're long on warmth and empathy, but happen your the people around you tend to be less effective. You'll feel better if they're more effective, and they will too. And they will too. And if you're very I like high on enforcing other people, and short on warm, like you'll be more connected to them, and they'll like you, and you'll feel good about that if you're like kinder. Yeah. You know? and, so, and if you're short on that warmth and empathy, you'll be harsh, and you'll know because they won't. They won't be telling you what's going on. They won't invite you in. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's so, right. It's like that's the key. That that's that tension. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We didn't get to, we didn't get to focus uh, so much on that, that imbalance, the harsh imbalance, but that's, that's a great place to leave it. Um, thanks so much, gentlemen. Appreciate the conversation. Good to be well, Thank here, you man. for starting it, stirring it up. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Bye-bye everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Oh,